Welcome to Insights for Believers audio podcast. We believe the message you are about to receive from the Word of God today will ignite your faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ and His love for you. Tonight, it's, it's going to be very brief. Like I told you the last time we were here, we will be out of here before you realize that we are here. So it's not going to be long at all, but I want you to pay attention for the time that we have, okay? I'm going to share a quick word, and we'll break bread and pray. That's all we've come to do tonight. So let's just pray and get right in. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We appreciate you for your presence in this place. Thank you for that moment of worship. Thank you because our worship has come up to you as a sweet-smelling savour tonight. We ask tonight that your word will come with accuracy, with simplicity, but with boldness that it will be unhindered, unchecked by any demonic force, that you give us eyes that see Jesus Christ and hears that, hears that hear his word, hears that hear his voice, hearts that understand who we are in Christ and who Jesus Christ is in us. I ask that you anoint me and my lips of clay so that your word will come unhindered and unchecked by any outside force, so that at the end of this message, your people will be edified and your name alone will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I don't like doing laundry. I hate laundry, but I like wearing clean clothes. So that's the dilemma that I have, right? I, I don't like, I don't go near laundry. And thank, thank be to God that I have a wife who I've never asked her whether she likes doing the laundry, but she does it. So I give God the praise for her secretly that thank God that this woman likes to do laundry. But you see, the, the thing about the laundry that we do here is that it's quite different from where we, where we came from, okay? Here, we have, a, uh, we have a machine, in fact, two machines inside our house that one washes the thing, and then we transfer it to the other one, and it dries it inside our house. And before we know what's happening, the clothes is ready. Where I come from, it's not like that. <laughs> it's a different thing. <laughs> and so, uh, was my mother, I mean, when I was growing up, my mother used to be the one to do the, the laundry. And you know what I mean by laundry now? It's bath soap uh, or kin soap and <laughs> water. <laughs> and you put the clothes in there, and you scrub it, and you almost scrub your, all your, uh, your hand away while you're trying to scrub the clothes. So I remember very well that, you know, we will go out when we we're younger, we'll play soccer, you know, our clothes will be dirty. We will be rough. We'll come back. And my mom will be like, why are you doing this? Why? I just washed these clothes. Why are you doing this? Why do you have to wear the white one to go and play soccer? Why can't you wear the black? You know, and she will say all those things, but it never made sense to me. Never made sense. But she'll just be, I'm like, why is this woman always complaining? Uh, just wash the clothes. Like, what's the big deal, you know? Until I started washing my clothes by myself. Until I became old enough and I had to be washing my clothes by myself. And then I realized, ah, this is the issue. Okay, so this is why. <laughs> this is why this woman was always talking. So when I became old enough to move into my own apartment, after I got a generator, of course, because of where we were living, all right? The country that we, I don't want to mention the name of the country, but the country doesn't have power supply. So... The first thing was a generator, and then I bought a small fridge, and then I bought a small washing machine because that thing just stuck with me that washing clothes is not the thing that I want to do with my life. It's not a good thing, so I'm not going to do it. Now, you see, we don't appreciate the effort that somebody puts into something um, if we continue to make the thing dirty intentionally. This is what I'm trying to say. If I, if I, was, if I was saying to my mother that, why are you complaining? I appreciate you. I appreciate you for cleaning the clothes, just like what my wife does with my kids now. When they start rolling around on the floor, she says to them, why are you, why do you have to, you, you want to move from point A to point B, why does it have to be on your bum? <laughs> Can't you walk? Why do you have to go on your bum, bum or, or on, your chair, on your chest and roll around the floor? They don't understand it. But imagine they come to my wife and say, mommy, we appreciate all your efforts in cleaning our clothes. The way she would know that they really appreciate her efforts is that they don't deliberately make the clothes dirty after she had made it clean. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
that's how they will know. So, so you, you can't just say it with your mouth that, oh, I appreciate, I appreciate my mom for always washing my clothes. But it's just like somebody brings you out of the mud now with clean clothes. You're, you're, you're out of the mud, you're very dirty, all right? And they wash you clean, wash the clothes clean. Bait for you, comb your hair, like my son, comb his hair. Two minutes time, he has used his hand to scatter the whole hair. And then you just go back, right after they've done that, and you throw yourself back into the mud. Right when the person is looking at you, do you think the person would think you appreciate them? Okay, so where am I going with this, with this story? I'm going to Romans chapter number six. If you have your Bibles, go with me. And so the Bible asks us a, a very simple question here in Romans chapter six, from verse one to verse three. Romans chapter six, from verse one to verse three. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is a very good question. It says, if we say we appreciate the fact that we have been made clean, should we now go back to the mud, like they say where we come from? They call it poto poto. <laughs> and I like that name because it defines it. When you hear that, you know that that's, that's not, nothing you should go near, okay? So why, why must you go back there, even after you have been made clean? Then he answers the question. He says in verse number two, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. So in Christianity, there are two extremes. There are two sides uh, uh, of the extremes that have ditches. So on one side of the extreme is something called legalism. On the other side is another thing called antinomianism. And let me say that again. One side, there are two extremes in Christianity. One side is legalism. At the end of it, there is a ditch. There's another one called antinomianism. It's on the other side. There's also a ditch at that end. Now, legalism is very simple. It says, I can achieve right standing with God by my works. If I want to achieve right standing with God, I can do it by my works. It is by my efforts. It is by the things that I either do or don't do. That's how I achieve right standing with God. On the other hand, antinomianism says, Jesus did everything. I don't have to do anything. Jesus has finished the work. <laughs> so, I mean, I've heard somebody say before that Jesus has finished the work. He has fasted for us, so we don't need to fast. I've heard somebody say that before. A preacher has said that before. So, that's how you know that there is one side called antinomianism, and there's another side called legalism. Either side of the ditch is bad. Either side. The safe place. I mean, you and I know that if you are on a scale, the, the safe place for you to be on, on two sides of a scale is in the middle. Not at one end. If you stay at one end and there's no weight on the other end, you're going to fall. And that's what most Christians are doing. But we cannot say because, you know, there is a counterfeit $100 bill. We will not spend the original $100 bill. So we can't say because there is a gospel that is, that is dangerous or that is erring on one side or on the other side, then we will not really talk about what Jesus has actually done for us. Now, I laid this foundation because what I'm going to share with you tonight is going to sound like this our pastor is a grace pastor. It's just grace, grace, grace. All this grace, 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 grace. That's why I'm laying this foundation. So you understand that I understand that there are two extremes in Christianity. I get that. But it should not stop us from actually knowing what Jesus did for us, which is what we want to look at tonight. To understand that when we come together at the table of communion and we are sharing the, the bread and we're taking the wine, we need to understand that we have been, we, this was done for us. Jesus made us to do this in remembrance of him for a reason. So what is that reason? Why is it that this is important? It's important to understand the implication of what Jesus did, no matter how easy it sounds, because it will help us not to continue in sin. 
You see, the minute I began to understand what it meant to wash my clothes with my hand, uh, and I had blisters on my hand, I understood why I had to keep my clothes clean. I now appreciated my mother even more. That this is what this woman went through for me. All these years, every day, every night, day in, day out, washing my clothes. So this is what it is. Then I appreciated it more. So when you look at the word of God and you see what Jesus did, then you now appreciate more what you have that you have been freely given. Does this make sense? All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and begin to talk about this. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 from verse 17 to 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 to 21. If you're watching on a platform that doesn't have the screen showing for you, where the screen is showing on YouTube and on Facebook, but if you're on Instagram or you're on Twitter or whatever else, and you're just hearing the audio, pick your Bible and look at it because we need to see this thing clearly, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Please pay attention. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Then verse 18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, us believers now, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what are we now? We have become the righteousness of God in him. I want you to say that with me. What have we become? The righteousness of God in him. So communion, therefore, is a celebration of the finished works of Christ. When we come together like this and we, we, we break bread, we are celebrating the finished works of Jesus Christ. The blood is shed for the remission of our sins. And this scripture makes it very clear to us. If you look at that first verse that we read, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The original Greek actually says that he is a new species of human beings, one that never existed before. That's the meaning of the word that was used there. He's saying that this, this new creation in Christ is a new species of human. It did not exist before. In other words, he has no past. His life began at the point where he was born again, where he was recreated, and he has no past. He has been completely recreated. See, this truth that we are sharing tonight, it has to be foundational in your life. Otherwise, you will find out that if you don't really understand this and you don't accept it, you might know it, head knowledge. You might know it in your head. But if you don't accept it in your heart and, and believe that it's true, there, there's a limit to how far you can go in Christianity. There's a limit. Because some things will be off limit for you because you would always look at yourself and, and consider the things that, let me not get ahead of myself. <laughs> let me just build this up, okay? Let me not jump, all right? So let's talk about the atonement. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 1. The atonement is what Jesus Christ did for us. So let's talk about that for a moment here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1. It says, let me run there. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law... Look at this, please. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, 
can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. What is he saying? That under the Levitical law, it was not possible for anybody to achieve perfection. It was not possible. He says that every 12 months, everybody has to come with a sacrifice. Huh? Without blemish, without spots. I would have been in the ram business then. If, if, honestly, because, I mean, you can imagine how much people will be making from just selling ram. And people in the temple were doing all kinds of things. You know that? They were doing all kinds of things. They will wait, will lay people. They will look at your, your sacrifice. Say, no, it has spots here. Come and buy the one that doesn't have spots. Then you, you exchange it for another. And they were making money. He said, this was going on every year. But at the same time, the atonement, what they were trying to achieve here, it was a shadow. That's what he calls it. He said it was an image of what was to come. But the problem with it was that the atonement that they were doing every year was never able to take away the sin. All it did was cover up the sin for one more year. So when you come back next year, you will meet your sin there. You will meet the, the one that you left two years ago. You will meet it. And then the one that you left last year, they are still there. <laughs> but the blood just covers it so that God will just look away that, ah, the blood is covering that. Let's just look away. But by the time you come back next year that you, and you open it, all the sins are still there. It never went away. That's the difference between what happened in the Old Testament and what Jesus did for us in the New Testament. What Jesus did for us in the New Testament that is called the atonement is that our sins were now remitted. Our sins were remitted. It means they were done away with. If I tell you that, if, if let's say um, I, I own a franchise, you know, of, of Tim Hortons or something, right? I own a Tim Hortons franchise and, and I have a certain amount of money that I have to remit at the end of the month, right, to the franchisee or whatever it is, whatever they call You know what I'm trying to say, right? The person that owns the, the what, whatever they are, you know what I'm saying. And I want to give them back their money. When I take the money and I remit it to the person, do I still have the money? I don't have it. So it's either Jesus took away your sin or you still have it. It's one of the two. It cannot be that Jesus did all that work, took away your sin, and you still have it. So we have to agree that it's either one or the other. It cannot be both. But we are living our lives as Christians as if it's the two. As if Jesus took away the sin, but if I do some things, I still have my sin. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the way we are living. And it shows up in conversation. It shows up in the way people talk. It shows up in how people even pray. That some people, I know Christians, who after they have prayed for 10 minutes, they remember, ah, I didn't start with confession of my sin. Ah, all this prayer is a waste. All this prayer is, I have to go back now and start with confessing my sin first. And then I will pray. You are looking at me like this, but you have done it before. You are looking at me and squeezing your face. Like, ah, no, that's not good. That's a baby Christian. It's a lie. You have done it. And you will go back to the beginning and say, ah, I should have started by confessing all these sins that I committed. No, sir. You enter into the presence of God. When you enter God's presence, God doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. Every time you step into the presence of God, he's not looking at you. If it was you, you would have died. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? You would have died if God was looking at you. That's the reason why you think that now God is chill. Like, he doesn't just strike people down anymore. You know, he doesn't just do anything he likes. Why do you think that is? That brings me to this issue that people always say that a sinner, let me, let me say it in the way that I want to remember it. Let me see where I wrote that. Uh, that God will not forgive a sinner until he confesses his sin. You have heard that before, correct? That God does not forgive a sinner until the sinner confesses. That's not correct. It is a partially correct statement that God doesn't forgive a sinner until he confesses his sin. No, sir. God has already made provision for the forgiveness of every human being on the earth. It's not 
when the human being comes and says, I want to repent now, that God will not start running around. Oh, where's the forgiveness? Let's go and look for it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you would repent today. Oh, you should have waited till tomorrow. Ah, what are we going to do now? Forgiveness, where are you? Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, sir. But why are we living our lives like this? Why? As if, and we write people off. We look at somebody and say, that one, before God can forgive him, you need a bucket load <laughs> of the blood of Jesus. <laughs> this one. <laughs> All the sin that this guy has committed, he will need a bucket load. My own is very easy. <laughs> but this guy, his sins are big. They are, they are very big. No, that's not the way it works. It's the same measure. And God has already made provision for it. The provision has already been made. So God is not running around. All he's waiting for is for people to accept it. And I'm talking to you, whether you're watching online today, maybe you, are, you run away from church. You grew up in church and you just ran away that, you know, all this church thing, I want to find out this thing by myself. I'm talking to you tonight. You see, God is not a God that is trying to avenge people. Like, people have this idea that God is so mad at everybody. Did you read in your Bible? It took the vengeance of God was taken away by Jesus. Is it that God still has the vengeance or Jesus has taken it? It's one of the other. So we can't keep saying, oh, you know, God is, God is so mad. In fact, I've invited people to church before who told me that if I enter your church, I will fall down and die. I'm not joking with you. People have told me this. <laughs> In this city, I've invited them to church and they said, ah, I should come to church. <laughs> if I enter the church, it's thunder will strike me. <laughs> because of the things I've done, you don't know what I've done. If I enter that church, thunder will strike me down. And I'm just laughing that this is ignorance. This is the height of ignorance. Who told you that God has to wait for you to come to church before he strikes you? If he, was, if he wanted to strike you, he will strike you inside your bedroom, quietly, with nobody will know. <laughs> when nobody will know that he even did anything. I mean, so we need to get over this thing and just understand that God is not after anybody's death. He's not looking for anybody to go astray. He's not, he, all he wants is for you to accept this, this gift of Jesus and the price that Jesus paid for us. That brings me to the most popular verse in the Bible. I'm sure you know it. What's the most popular verse in the Bible? <laughs> John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody knows that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves us and gave Jesus and gave Jesus for us while we were in sin. He didn't wait for us to repent before he gave Jesus to us. So God is not holding trespasses against us. He's calling us to make Jesus our Lord. And he accepted us not on the basis of our own right standing. Because no matter what it is that you want to do as a Christian, you can never achieve the perfection of Christ. You can't do it. You can't do it. The minute you start washing your clothes by yourself, you will know that you cannot achieve perfection. You will know. That something is wrong with this process. I have to find a better way. <laughs> there must be someone else who can pay the price for me to get my clothes clean. So you have to understand that, that this is something that God has already made provision for. All you have to do is to accept it. Uh, Romans chapter number 3, verse 23. This is another very interesting, interesting verse of the Bible. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You, you've heard it said so many times. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a favorite scripture of heaven and hell evangelists. You know, even an hell evangelist, you will die and go to hell fire. Hell fire. You better repent. Hell fire. And I get the idea behind that. I get the idea that, you know, there's, there's judgment. There's, it's just like the cross of Jesus. Uh-huh. It's it said that it's like a symbol. That means that there's, there's the judgment of God, but there is the love of God that cancels out the judgment. So we cannot just be preaching the judgment of God. Good news is that you will go to heaven, not that you go to hell. Is that good news that you die and go to hell fire? Is that good news? That's not good news. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you tonight so that when you want to preach to your friends, you know what to say. It's not to tell them you will go to hell. I will go to hell for you. It's not good news for anybody. Are, in fact, let me, let me make you laugh. Today, 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 in my office, somebody still said to me that, Elfire, 
uh, we'll go now. Is it not your fire? I'm telling you, in my office today, it's not something that happened yesterday. Oh. <laughs> so when you think that you are using fear to preach to people, they are ready for your fire because they don't know what it is. They don't understand it. That's why they can say that. They don't understand what it means. Uh-huh. But the day that they put their hand on the hot stove and it burns, they will get a glimpse, a small glimpse of what it looks like. But it's not to now preach fear at people and make people afraid of God. That's what's happening. People are running away from God because they are afraid. They are afraid of God. They are like, that. this God. I want to judge all of us. Hellfire was not created for human beings. Don't you know that? God did not make hell for human beings. Oh, is that, is that a revelation? He didn't make hell for human beings. He, he made hell for the devil and his, and his agents. Anyway, that's not my message. Let's not divert. Now, it says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But this is not where this scripture ends. This, for a long time, I'm telling you, for a long time, this is the only scripture I knew. Until I started reading my own Bible myself. This is the only part I knew. It's just like when we go to the mall or you're at home and your kids, while they're running around, they're playing, right? They pick up something that is very expensive, maybe off a shelf or something, or inside your house. They pick up something that is, that is fragile and expensive. And you look at them. What do you say to them when you see it? You say, ah, eh, please, 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 put that back where you found it. Put it back where you found it. That's the same thing we need to do for the Bible. So when we pick out a scripture like this, I'm going to say to you, just take this scripture and put it back where you found it. Then you understand it. Because there is context for every scripture. When you take a verse of the Bible, you have to put it in the context of the verses that are around it. Then you understand the whole, the whole thing. When you want to understand that passage, put it in the context of the book. If you want to understand the book, put it in the context of the whole Bible, which is the canonical context. Right? Then you understand the whole story of the Bible, which is that everything is pointing to Jesus. So let's go back to this scripture from the beginning, at least from verse 21 and read everything through and see what he's saying. He says, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through what? Faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Please, I want you to see these scriptures by yourself. There is no what? There is no difference. Then he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. There's a similar scripture in Romans chapter 6 as well, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. If you stop here, it sounds like bad news because the wages of sin is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is the good news. So today, the only sin that any unbeliever will go to hell for or be condemned for is the sin of not accepting this free gift of Jesus Christ. That's the only sin you're going to go to hell for. So, so you, are, you are watching today and you, you thought that there was a list of things that you had to do, you know, to be, to, be, to be born again. There was a list of things that you have to fulfill for God to accept you. Listen to me. The only thing that God requires of you is to accept this gift of Jesus Christ. When you do that, the rest of the work of transforming you, leave that to him. Then he begins that work in you. As, you. as you begin to fellowship with the brethren and sit down under the word of God, he begins to change you. But the first step is for you to accept this free gift of Jesus Christ. And this is so important. And we find that in John chapter number 16 from verse 8 to verse 10. John 16, 8 to 10. You can read that. You can write that down and read it on your own. It talks about the fact that uh, when, when, in fact, let's just read it. Let's read it because 
John chapter number 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in him. So this is the sin that is going to send anybody to hell for, okay? So God is not a wicked God that wants to send people to hellfire uh, because hellfire was not even made for you, okay? So that's very important to understand. Now, let me, let me just read a story here that I found. Hopefully this one will wake you up and then we can, we can start to pray. It's called No Record, and, I, I, and this is by Wayne Presnell. It's, this is a true life story, okay? So pay attention. Several, I can tell you the story, but it will not be interesting. I have to read it the way it was written, all right? Several years ago, Bob Sheffield of the Navigators told a moving story, picturing the essence of what it means to receive God's forgiveness. Before he became a Christian, Bob played professional hockey in Canada. He was tough, loved to fight, and found himself in jail one night after a bar room brawl. Later, Bob and his wife became Christians through the Navigator's outreach ministry. They grew in their newfound faith and accepted a temporary assignment with the Navigator's in Christian ministry in the States. Bob had to apply for landed immigrant status, which would allow him and his wife to continue in ministry in the United States. But because he had a criminal record, his request was denied. Are you following me so far? Fortunately for them, their daughter had been born in the US, and this worked in their favor. This loophole allowed them to receive the visa they needed to continue their work in the United States. It was a troubling experience for the Sheffields. Bob realized that they would have this same problem every time the navigators assigned them to a new ministry in another country. After much thought and prayer, they decided to apply in Canada for what is called the Queen's Pardon. A thorough investigation was conducted, but the pardon was still granted. Bob Sheffield received the following notice in the mail. Whereas we have since been implored on behalf of the said Robert Jones Sheffield to extend a pardon to him in respect to the convictions against him, and whereas the Solicitor General here submitted a report to us, now know ye therefore, having taken these things into consideration, that we are willing to extend the royal clemency on him, the said Robert J. Sheffield, we have pardoned, remitted, and released him of and from the said convictions, and of and from all and every penalty to which he was liable in pursuance thereof. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. On any document from that time forward, listen to this, on which Bob was asked if he had a criminal record, he answered no. So from that day forward, every time anybody asked him, does he have a criminal record, the answer was what? No. What the pardon meant was that he had been released from any possible punishment that could come from the crimes he had committed. And the record of the crimes themselves had been completely erased. Whenever his fingerprint went to the Canadian Mounted Police and they ran them through the computer, the printout came back reading, no record. This is the kind of pardon we have in Jesus Christ. When we have received forgiveness, we are set free from any penalty or possible punishment that was due us according to our crimes against God. When Satan requests from the heavenly computer our list of sins punishable by eternal death, it will always print out no record, pardoned by the blood of Jesus. It will always read no record because you have been pardoned by the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when you receive salvation, you are recreated by the Spirit of God. 
and it's as if sin never existed in your life. You are put into right standing with God. The question tonight that I want to ask you is, will you accept this free gift today? You may, have, you may have even been born again before. You may have said this prayer before and be born again at one point or the other, but you have never really accepted the free gift of salvation. You have not accepted it as a free gift. You are still in the place where you think that the things that you do or do not do is what qualifies you to be in right standing with God. But I want you to get out of this place from tonight. After we take this, this bread and the cup tonight, and understand that you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. As long as you are in Christ, God doesn't see you. He sees who? Okay. Let's wrap it up. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So my challenge to you tonight is very simple. If you are watching us online or you are, you are listening to this, maybe you are even watching this later on after we are, we are done, weeks later, it's still the same God that is talking to you tonight. You didn't join this live stream by accident. Or maybe you are even in the room. And you know tonight that you need to accept this free gift. I'm not talking about your initial salvation experience. I'm talking about you accepting the free gift of righteousness that Jesus has provided. And because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10, that if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I, I want every single one of us, let's, let's say this prayer together to, to encourage the people that are watching online. I, I just believe it in my heart that this is, the, this is what God planned tonight's meeting for. For one person that is watching tonight or watching at a later time, that God wants to convict of sin. Because that sin of not believing in Jesus is the only sin that can take you away from God. So I want you to pray tonight from the depth of your heart, wherever you are, and just say this prayer with me. We'll all say it with you, just to encourage you, all right? Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus... I believe in my heart that God sent you to die for my sins. I confess with my mouth that he raised you from the dead on the third day. I accept you into my life today as my Lord and personal Savior. Come into my life and do something with it. Now I want you to say, Holy Spirit, I receive you tonight. Say it one more time. Say, Holy Spirit of God, I receive you by faith tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand to our feet and take our, our confession before the, before the communion. Thank you for listening to Insights for Believers today. For more information or to send us questions, testimony, and feedback, please visit us at www.insightsforbelievers.org. Be blessed today, and we'll see you again soon.